we are on some path and that this isn't something that just happens and we snap the fingers and then all of a sudden we do it so perfectly. And it's a series of things. And that in this pause is this gateway to our freedom. When we start to stretch that pause, that's when we have greater opportunity to choose differently. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. This show is meant to be a guide for you. We're going to talk not only about how we can start to become aware of what are the subconscious things that are holding us back and how we can instead choose thoughts that are actually going to propel us forward. But in addition to changing the landscape internally, we are going to talk about the strategies that actually will help you to build a profitable business, getting paid to be you. Because when you have a business where you do what you love, you never really have to have that sense of work because it's a pleasure, because it's joy. And really, I want you to have the most abundant life. I want you to have the kind of life that you love waking up to every day that you don't feel like you need a vacation from. So together on the show, every single episode, I want to be your friend. I want to be your mentor. I want to show you what is it that I think has really been insightful, been helpful? What are the tools and strategies? What are the mindset shifts that have helped me? And what are the things that have helped my guests to get to where they are? How can we together sort of cross this river to the most fulfilling life where we show up and we feel like we are living into our potential and having the most gorgeous, beautiful experience? Because after all, that is what we all desire. We're all craving to have the most joyful, beautiful life And I really believe that we can design that and that we can experience a life that we just absolutely love. And not only will we enjoy it, but it will be a possibility for other people that will show other people what's there for them. And then maybe together, each one of us, by being the happiest versions of ourselves and being the most fulfilled versions of ourselves, we will help other people to reach for that higher branch and to find that in their own life. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so happy that you're going to hear today's episode because I got so much clarity from it myself. And I I think it's so important to have these conversations. I I mean, every single day, I feel like people ask you this question, like, how are you doing? And we're all like, we're good. And we don't really stop to make space to say, what's really going on? We don't even do it with ourselves. We don't even stop and say, is there anything that I've like skipped over, like any pain or sadness or grief or anxiety? And then we just keep like pushing it away. And conversations like this, I feel like help us address what's there that needs to be released. And so I'm looking forward to sharing this with you. I do want to let you know that we have a few spots left for the Florida retreat. I think we now have three spots left. If you want to join us, you can go to kathyheller.com slash retreat. So today, Vienna Farron is here. She is one of New York City's most sought after relationship therapists. She's the founder and owner of Mindful Marriage and Family Therapy and a best-selling author. She's been helping people for over 15 years to build and sustain healthy relationships through deep healing. And now you can get all her wisdom in her book. It's called The Origins of You, How Breaking Family Patterns Can Liberate the Way We Live and Love. And it's an empowering and profound guide to healing old wounds and creating a fresh path forward. This book is going to help you understand how your families of origin affected your life choices and your relationships and how this can give you tools to change your behaviors and beliefs so you can be the person that you were born to be. It's such a powerful book. Make sure that you get yourself a copy. I've been a fan of Vienna's work for a while and I'm glad that we finally got to connect. She's a wise sage with so many insights, but at the same time, she's just willing to open her own heart and share what's been her struggle. And there's no shame. And I have to think that this is just so important for all of us. I know that you're going to get so much out of this conversation. So without further ado, please welcome the brilliant Vienna Farron. Vienna, I'm so happy that you came on the show. Our friend Amber connected us. She's such a lovely person that I had no doubt that you would be somebody I would immediately like. And I just am so happy that you're doing this work. It's really creating a lot of well-being in a world where there's a lot of chaos and everyone's so busy and everyone's got to (laughs) go. There's so much to do. No one has time for what they really need to do. I feel like the work you're doing is what we really need to be making time for. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to get to be here and chat with you about this. Great. Well, that's what we're going to do. So we're going to talk about your new book, but we're going to kind of catch up and get some context. So 
What do you think it is about this work that you were drawn to? Like at what point in your life were you like, oh, this is where my compass is. Like, this is what's pointing me to my North Star. Why, why do you care so much about this? So I've been saying that therapists get into the line of therapy knowingly or unknowingly to resolve that which is unresolved in their life. And yeah, I didn't know that when I leaned into this work, that wasn't that obvious to me. I think what was obvious to me was certainly my personal story, which was that uh, in first grade, my parents started a nine-year separation divorce process. And as an only child, I was, you know, this kind of individual observer, witnesser, experiencer of all of the things. And, you know, as we know, our family systems are our first education for just about everything. Obviously, there are are additional influences that we get along the way, but they're the first framework foundation. They were who taught me what love was or what the absence of love was, how to fight, how to communicate, how to set or not set boundaries and so forth. And I didn't get a great education. What I I saw was a lot of high conflict, a lot of psychological abuse, manipulation, gaslighting, paranoia, emotional flooding. That was what was around me constantly. And so from an unevolved place, I got into this line of work because I was really afraid of recreating what I saw. I wanted to try to understand what went into creating and maintaining functional, healthy, long-lasting relationships. Right? Why do some people get that and others do not? And so I was really scared of living in a relationship that was similar to what my parents had. And so I decided to get an education in it or like, yeah, right. A formal school education in it, as opposed to a familial education in it. But it wasn't until later on, maybe my mid late twenties, where this work really started to hit in, which is, I get a good laugh out of it now because I started grad school when I was 21 and I entered in and I was like, my parents divorce didn't affect me and bless my professors and supervisors and advisors. They must've been like, Oh, sweet girl. Yeah. Okay. Like we've got, we've got work to do here, but I held on to that story and that belief for a really long time because to not hold on to that belief and story would have required me to need to feel right. It would have required me to come into contact with my pain. And I was not ready to do that to hold the story that I was unaffected, to hold the story that I was fine, to use the explanation that they are friends now, which was true, right? And to use the explanation that we would have holidays together, which was true. It was always a distraction away from me having to feel. And so in my mid-late 20s, I was dating someone and thought he was the one. And a couple months in, uh, his ex came back into the picture and he was trying to decide whether to get back into oh my god or to stay in a relationship with me and oh. it was thing because right away i moved into this space of of course you know t- take all the time you need i of course understand this you know this must be so hard for you right that like that's where i went to and yeah, I have the same reaction now <laughs> when I tell the story. But in that space, right, this what here was, it clicked in for me after a couple of weeks, how I had taken on and continued the extension of this role that I had taken on as a little girl, which was when my parents were crashing and burning around me, right? When everything was going chaotic and under, I believed that there was no room for me to not be okay too, right? And so what that looked like was me then pretending to be fine, pretending to be unaffected, not having needs, being this needless little girl. And I turned into a needless woman as well, who tried to present as the cool girl, who tried to present like, absolutely, right? Like, no worries at all. Take your time. Go ahead. Spend time with your ex, you know, see what works out there. And it clicked in. I was actually having a conversation with Mark, our friend, and I realized that I had repeated 
this pattern. I had been repeating this role and this pattern in my life where I could never actually voice when I was affected, that I was hurt, that I was bothered by this, that this was something that was, didn't feel respectful to me. And it wasn't until that aha moment happened where it really clicked in. And I did, I used my voice and I expressed and I shared for the first time, you know, it was, it was one of those things. And I, I think people can relate to this is it sounds so simple, but we all know that sometimes those simple shifts are the most profound life altering shifts for me at that point in my life to be able to say, I am affected. This hurts me. I'm bothered by this. Like those were new words for me. Right. And that might be shocking to some people to be like, wow, you got to 28 years old and you had never said that, but that that was what had happened. And I think that was one of the main catalysts in my life where I started to really connect to how the unwanted patterns in our lives right now that we just can't shake are tied to unresolved pain from the past. And I happen to take the lens of understanding our family of origin, the family systems we grew up in, and the pain that we acquired there. Obviously, we can you know, have stories outside of our family of origin, but that's where I like to spend a lot of my time. And what I've seen, you know, at this point, I've worked with you know, individuals, couples, families for over 20,000 hours of direct therapy with people. And this is what I see over and over and over again. So... Yeah, well, I guess long roundabout way of this was how I got into this work. And I was not aware of it for a period of time. And even when I was early on in those early years of being a new therapist, you know, it's like I was able to do decent enough work with people, but you can only really go as far as you've gone with your own pain. And I've seen this tremendous shift ever since where I can go so much further, so much deeper with, with my clients because I can be with my own pain now. Yeah. And that's like, it's just very significant, you know, and then everything in our culture is about avoiding it, you know, like, why don't you just scroll your phone? That would be a good distraction. Why don't you just have a drink? Why don't you just do this? Why don't you, do, you know, anything other than face pain. Yeah. And um, just last night, actually, I was at a memorial for a father who had three children tragically die in a fire. Ugh. And he was talking about, it was in 2005. So last night was like a remembering of them, like a, a tribute mm -hmm. to them. And he was so incredibly brave and honest mm -hmm. and talked about all the things he did in the initial years after to avoid it, having to face how much pain he was in. And then eventually it was by confronting his pain that every blessing he could possibly have has only come. He only has any life in him. There's any magic at all in life left because he was willing to face his pain. And it's unspeakable, right? That's like an unspeakable tragedy. And it's not a contest. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. That's not the point. But I just heard him say that last night. And so mm -hmm. it seems very apropos because there's a facing of pain and there's everything we're doing to avoid it, which actually creates so much pain. Yeah. It's so beautifully said. Um, and right. Heartbreaking. I can't even imagine. It makes yeah. me feel things even just, you know, hearing you say that, but that's right. And, and to your point, even I talk about wound comparison in the book, right. Where it's like, it's so easy for us to find all of the ways to distract ourselves away from it. Somebody else has a worse story than I do. My parents did the best that they could with what they had or what they knew. I don't want to open up Pandora's box. Uh, I'm afraid of what I might find. Uh, my parent is deceased. And so I don't want to go there because I don't want to change the image that I hold of that. Right. And all of these things can be valid and true, but what happens is that they become distractions away from us being able to actually just honor our pain and our experiences. And sometimes, right. In the case of, you know, this father, yeah, sometimes we need to hit pause, right. Sometimes we're like, I not ready to go and face the pain. And we can be intentional about that. It's too much. You know, three of your babies passing, like can't even imagine. But eventually, 
right? It's like, there is the magic, there is the sacredness, there is the power, there is the transformation, there is the healing when we are eventually able to face that. And I think for so many of us, right, we've been spending decades avoiding it, right? We've been using years and years and years. It's not even like we need to have an acute moment even necessarily in our adult lives where we're like, Ooh, I'm not ready to go there. I'm not ready to face that thing that is just so outrageous and so painful is that we've been spending decades of our lives just turning away from what is true about our stories. And this book is an invitation, a gentle invitation, right? Because I say, I'm like, we're not here to throw our parents under the bus. I'm not here to have you go on some wild goose hunt. Like This is about just naming what was so that you can start to work with your pain differently so that it can loosen its grip on you present day. Yeah. And as you're talking, I picked up a crayon that's on my desk and I'm like doodling because I can feel how much... I feel when we talk about this, it's like, I'm such a good avoider. And I'm such a, <laughs> one of my best strategies for avoiding is achieving because if I'm busy and I'm achieving, then I'm crushing it. And right. now I'm actually getting praise for avoiding. So I pick up this crayon that's on my desk. I'm like, I'm just going to doodle over here. As we talk uh-huh. about this, I asked John Cabot Zinn one time for anyone who doesn't know, he, he sort of created a, a very big knowing about mindfulness-based stress reduction therapy. And he's one of the masters in that world. Anyway, so we we were talking about this and being present with what is. So I said, what about if someone is in acute grief? You know, is that wise? And I was talking about a friend at that time who had just, just lost a parent, like within a matter of days. And he's like, no, you're right. That's a great question. It's a great insight. He said, you can be flooded. So here's what I would suggest. He said, I wouldn't say to that person, why don't you go sit down and meditate for two hours and sit still? He said, but what I might say is kind of like a moth to a flame, like going closer and going away and closer again. Maybe you could take your phone and set it down for five whole minutes and walk by the ocean and then go pick up your phone again. But maybe you can have these moments where you you attempt to be present. And I thought that was such a non-pretentious and kind and helpful answer because Mm -hmm. I think part of the problem is people are worried that if they let go of avoiding, they'll never get out of it. Mm -hmm. And so can you help us understand Mm -hmm. how we could do that in a way where it feels like there is light at the end of this and we won't get drowned by going into this place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it is a great insight. And I love that answer. And kind of similar to what I was just saying, it's like you, yeah, like maybe you do need to pause. Maybe we don't want to go there. Maybe avoiding is the coping strategy right now that is super supportive, but Hey, if we've been doing this for 20 years in a row and we've never put the phone down or we've never put the crayon down or we've never done, you know, like then maybe there's that invitation to be like, okay, like, let's see what happens if we turn towards, I often ask the question, like, what is it serving not to turn towards? Because what's on the other side of that, and people are like, well, nothing, it's like blocking me. It's like, no, 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 but it's, I'm not asking for a, what's it serving in this, like, look at the positive thing that's coming from it. I'm, I'm asking, what does it serve? Even if it's dysfunctional, right? Because our behaviors are always serving something, right? And so when we can see it through that lens, there's a big shift that can happen. What am I protecting myself from? What feels overwhelming to me? What am I scared of? For me, I was scared to feel, I really had never done that before. For. I became so protective. And, and yeah, to your point, I became really good at the things that I put my mind to. I achieved a lot of things that I wanted to achieve. Like that was a coping strategy for me. And that was easy to hide behind because it's like, great, you're a great athlete and you're really good at the violin. And oh my gosh, you speak another language. It's like, oh, I'm great. I'm doing really well. This must be good, right? But all of those things were the things that kept me from learning how to feel. And so to understand what it serves, whatever the behavior is, what that is serving, what is that's keeping you from what that's blocking you from and why that is safe for you. 
right? You know, we have an intuitive part that knows like, oh, this is too much for me right now. But sometimes that's, we can get really comfortable in this place of existing in, I don't want to go there. And I think it requires us to sit and get really honest with ourselves and to ask like, what am I keeping myself from? What am I blocking myself from? When you think about the pain, I've been talking about externalizing the pain, right? And and letting it be its own entity outside of your body for a moment. And here's what I think pain would say to us, if it could speak, if we could have a conversation with it. I think if it was existing outside of us, it would say, hey, I promise you, I'm not trying to ruin your life and destroy you. Like I'm not out to get you. Mm. I know you want to get on with life. I know you want that pattern to change. I know you're really frustrated and irritated that we keep kind of finding ourselves right back here over and over again. So I see you. And also I can't just let you get on with your life without acknowledging me, right? Without witnessing me, without feeling me, without being with me. Because otherwise what happens is you abandon me in the same way that maybe everybody else has, right? And that I can't allow, right? And so what I can promise you though, human you, adult you, is that if you can just be with me and feel me and acknowledge me and witness me and, and grieve alongside of me, when you do that, I promise I will loosen my grip on you. Pain is really clever. Our systems are brilliant systems. We know that. Pain will find the clever ways to bring us back into contact with that which is not resolved. That's why we have the same conflict, change out the context, whatever it is, change out the whatever the fight might be. That's why we keep dating emotionally unavailable people, even though we say we will never do it again over and over and over again. It's why we have a hard time setting the boundary we promise ourselves we'll set the next time, right? It's like pain is what brings us into our patterns so that we will look. And so, you know, I think when we can shift away from oh, pain is out to get me or like as if pain were rubbing its hands together cynically, right? It's like, no, no, what if we can start to see pain as the arrow kind of pointing us back to where it is that we need to go, right? That our patterns are that. And so, you know, I think if we can have that reframe, sometimes that can be what helps us start to move in that direction, when we could start to ask ourselves the constraint question of what keeps me from going there, right? We might get an answer, understand what it is that we're really so afraid of and so scared of. And then we can start to bring in the support that we need to help us in turning towards, right? Because this is not about brute forcing our way. This isn't about like, just look at your pain and just be with it and just grieve it, right? Like that doesn't work for people. Right? You can't just force somebody into feeling their pain or, or you know, acknowledging it. That's not how that works. There needs to be enough safety established for us to do that. And so, yeah, to your original question, it is absolutely okay to pause, to break, to put a book down, to step away, to try something on and then take it off if it doesn't work right now. And to trust your body in this process as well of, oop, that's a little too much for me or oop, that's a little too overwhelming for me, but to also hold yourself accountable in that space as well. I mean, it's so beautiful. And I love what you said about how pain is like an arrow, you know, and that makes Mm -hmm. so much sense. And that's why you keep going back and the pain keeps coming. It's like wanting you to sit with it for a while. I love that you said that. I think it's really exciting that the title of the book makes the promise that you can break from these patterns. You can liberate yourself Mm -hmm. and live the way you want to be living, hopefully. Mm -hmm. And what I find frustrating as a human being on the journey is like this morning, I was so flooded and pissed off. I just was upset. It's a whole like bunch of silly things, but like we were late for something and I was annoyed at my husband for some, and I know better than to let myself sit, but I had this awareness that I don't want to soften sometimes Mm -hmm. like my pain is a protection. Mm -hmm. And this is where we sabotage. It's like where we, you know, are dysfunctional. Some of us sometimes, I think all of us sometimes. And I was sitting there thinking, it's fascinating. It's like a part of me, my soul, my consciousness is like wanting so much to be at ease always and be free of it. There's another part of me that's like, no, like, 
this is protection. Mm-hmm. And if I can find this thought that hooks into this feeling that I can get pissed. And if I get upset, that somehow protects me, right? It's like an old, mm-hmm. and that's very frustrating to feel as though there's a part of you that wants to hold on to it mm-hmm. and doesn't mm-hmm. want to let it go. And boy, do I see that a lot. And, mm-hmm. you know, my mom and dad have been divorced for a long time and we've had this conversation so often and sometimes she sees it and sometimes she doesn't, but she can be very self-aware sometimes and other times not. And she's like, you're right. I love this pain. This pain's like a blanket. It keeps me from having to open up again or date again, or acknowledge the fact that I wasn't happy in the marriage either, but I just keep saying he left, but it's like, Mm -hmm. and that was so long ago. Powerful. Yeah. What do you think we do about that when we get really honest with that? Oh, mama with the, like, wow. Right. (laughs) I know. Dysfunction. You're like, that's so wise. I'm like, no, but, but seriously though. Right. Like even, even what your mom said about like identifying that I too was unhappy, but it is just so much easier to say he left. That's right. right. And wow, that's the thing that keeps us from the change. You know, I think identifying it is one thing, right? But then we have to do something about it. And I think to your point about this morning, growth and healing is not just about the outcome, this destination of, oh, I moved out of that so quickly and ta-da, you know, sometimes it's just about moving out of it a little bit sooner than you would before. Sometimes it is about noticing, oh, there's that activation and yep, I want to stay here, you know, like, cause even that is growth probably from some point before where you were just super reactive and you stayed in it and you had no idea why. And so I, I think it is important for us to realize like, no, 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 we are on some path and that this isn't something that just happens and we snap the fingers and then all of a sudden, you know, we do it so perfectly, right? It's a series of things. And that in this pause, I think many people know that quote that's attributed to Viktor Frankl about between stimulus and response, there is a pause, right? And in that pause is this gateway to our freedom. And that pause, when we start to stretch that pause, that's when we have greater opportunity to choose differently, to replace something with something else. And in that pause is where we start to connect to, oh, what's familiar here? What do I know about this? What do I know will happen if I stay here? If I don't stay here, why do I want to stay here? It's where we start to become curious. It's where we start to inquire about the things that are playing out in this space. And then eventually the goal is that we're able to choose something that leads us to more connection, to more intimacy, to more closeness, to repair. But sometimes we have our moments where we're like, No, I want to just cross my arms across my chest and I want to stay here. And I want to stay here because what, you know, and whatever that answer is, there is information there. I'll share a story because I think putting on that curious cap is so important. I was at the beginning of a relationship with my now husband. We'd gotten into some conflict. I have no clue what the conflict was about. But what I do remember is that I could not stop proving my point. I was like double, yeah, right. Doubling down, tripling down. I just kept going. And he's like, Yeah, yeah, people, I got I got it. I understand. I hear you. It's like, and I'm going as if he's defending himself or something. And I'm going and going and going. I can't stop proving my part point and making sure that I'm right and he's wrong. <sighs> okay. So I have this out-of-body moment where I'm looking in at myself doing this gonna stop. Like, this is so unattractive. Like to stop talking and I can't. And eventually, you know, I'm in my shame. I feel embarrassed. I get to a point where I'm like, uh Oh, like, I don't even know if this person is going to want to stay with me. Right. If I continue to behave this way, because this isn't a good formula, but I take myself out of shame and I go into curiosity. Like, why do I need to prove my point? Like, what does proving my point serve? What does needing to be right serve? It goes back to that question I was asking before and clicks in like, oh, right. I grew up in a family system with psychological abuse, manipulation, gaslighting. I got very good at tracking things 
because what I saw happen was that in the gaslighting, in the manipulation, the other person, my mom, in this case, it was crazy making for her, right? She couldn't keep track of things. It, it made her paranoid. It created a lot of unwellness, if you will. And as a little girl, I watched this and I started to track and I started to realize that being right, being able to prove your point was quite literally connected to safety for me. And when I started to understand that, I had a totally different sense of myself in that conflict of, oh, I'm not just being this difficult human who needs to prove her point, who needs to be right. And, you know, like what, what's wrong with me? I was like, oh, there's something that's familiar here that I'm experiencing that puts me into a survival strategy of self-protection. And when you start to work with that, and be with the pain of, oh my gosh, as a little girl, I witnessed that constantly, right? To acknowledge what that must have been like for five, six, seven, eight, nine year old me to observe that and to see that go down, to grieve what was taken there, right? Like that's what allows me then as adult me to be able to say, okay, I'm not in that same scenario anymore. I know who is in front of me. That's so different than being in a manipulative, psychologically abusive, you know, situation and I can start to choose differently. Okay. And so does that mean that I never prove my point now? No. <laughs> you know, does that mean that I never want to be right? No. You know, of course I can still find myself in that space, but I am aware of it and I can get there faster. And so again, this work is not just, oh, here's this outcome. Oh, here's this destination that I have to arrive at. And that it's this linear thing. And we have, I think, have all heard that before, right? That growth is not linear, but that also like we can know something or see something and also still feel overwhelmed or flooded by something, or that something is so familiar to you that there's an automatic response to it that we go to. And so that becomes part of the practice. So your example, my example, yeah, like when we know better, but we can't do differently, right, is a good indicator that we need to spend more time with something. Yeah, it's amazing because the more that I've like studied various wisdom traditions and Mm -hmm. self-development, so much of the, the greatest sort of quest is the law of like, reception, like being willing and able to allow and to receive. And I think so much of what we all do, and you mentioned it earlier, is just getting good at like not needing anything or anyone and very self, you're able to take care of yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And you're doing all the stuff. And then I think there is this, because you talk about in your courses, you know, getting the love that you want. Mm -hmm. And I think when people are really, really honest, if they don't have it, there's some part of them that doesn't want it. You know, there's a part mm-hmm. of them that that sabotages that as we were just saying. And right. so it takes tremendous courage to be willing mm-hmm. to set all of this down because mm-hmm. there's a lot of vulnerability here. But let's say that you're like so sick and tired of being sick and tired. You're just fed <laughs> up with with being on the roller coaster. Help us understand how we can replace the programming that we have mm-hmm. and actually start to see it change. Yeah. I'll say this because I feel like sometimes people try to sell the like, do these four things and then you'll get that. This work is hard work and it's layered and complex and nuanced. And I like actually kind of try to set the bar really low for people, Mm -hmm. you know? instead of kind of promising that, and then this will happen. It's like, actually, no, you'll probably backstep and sidestep and find yourself back in this, you know, quite often. So in the book, I talk about five origin wounds, worthiness, belonging, prioritizations, trust, and safety. And when I was sitting down to write the book, it was like, I think that I was writing down all these different wounds that I think we could all have. And ultimately it was like, I think the human experience really can fall under these umbrellas. And obviously I dive into each one in depth, but the work is about, I, I lead the reader through an origin healing practice 
right? Which is about identifying what wound or wounds mm-hmm. we have, right? A lot of readers now are like, is it possible to have all five? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, it is. And you also might only identify with one or two. What I will say, and this is to speak to the complexity of relationships, is that even if you're like, I definitely don't have a belonging wound, I definitely don't have a trust wound. That may be true. It may not be true. But what I can tell you is that likely your partner does, likely your friends do, likely your child right. or your parent or you know the important people in your life do. And why I bring that piece up here is because when we are in relationships, we are not just thinking about our own stories, our own pain, our own wounding. We are also having to consider and be aware of the stories and complexity and history and richness of the people that we love too. And that's what makes things very complicated, right? And when both people's pain is kind of at the table simultaneously, how do we move through that? But to start to shift behavior and patterns. For me, it really is about the witnessing and the grieving. That's what pulls that pause apart and makes it extend. We want to be witnessed, right? This idea of being seen, heard, understood, right? Like at the end of the day, that is what we want. And so many of us, I say, I work with adult children, right? All the time. Mm -hmm. And what I hear is that we just want to be acknowledged. We just somebody want, uh, oftentimes, right? It's the conversation around, I just wish that my parent could acknowledge this. I just wish that they could validate this. And sometimes we get on that hamster wheel of, if I write it to them, maybe they'll understand. If I say it with kindness, maybe they'll get it. What if I scream it at them? Might they then get it? Maybe I will not return their messages until they get it, right? We'll try all of these different ways to try to be acknowledged. And the good news is that we actually don't need the person or the people who contributed to the original pain to participate in the witnessing of it. If we can, beautiful, that's incredible. That feels so, so powerful and healing, but we don't need that person or those people to do that. What we need is one, the witness of ourselves to be able to see ourselves clearly, to acknowledge our own pain, which you and I have been saying all along has been what most of us do not do, right? We find ways to minimize it, distort it, look away from it, not tend to it, right? So the idea of becoming our own witness is one of the first steps. But I am also a believer that if it's relationships that contribute to wounding, then it's relationships that need to contribute to healing. And so there is something profound that happens when someone outside of us can see our pain, can witness it. So whether that's a loving partner, an incredible friend, a trusted therapist, right? But like that's somebody that we can turn to can see what it is that we've been talking about, right? To see what it is that we've been experiencing. I remember I was having a conversation with a family member of mine. This is the same conversation that we would have had over and over and over again, kind of the same cycle, the same pattern. My phone was on speaker at the time. And my husband, well, uh, I was dating him at the time, but he was in the apartment and he heard the conversation. The conversation ended, hung up. And I remember he turned to me and he's like, I get it. Yeah. I like see exactly what you're saying. And I remember this moment where I feel it in my body. It was so amazing because it was this moment of really being validated by him where I no longer needed the other person to get my point. All I wanted was for someone to see it. And I'll say this as an only child too, that it was especially raw for me because I didn't have siblings. I didn't have um, my parents, neither of them ever repartnered, remarried. So there were no other adults in the family system either. So there's nobody there to pull me aside as a little girl, as a teenager. Anything to just be like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. Right? As I think other adults sometimes do, right? Like you, you have the step parent who looks at you and is like, I'm sorry, you know that, that, or a sibling who's like, oh my god, mom, so whatever, dad, so whatever. Like I really was starving for acknowledgement and to have him do that, and it wasn't this like scripted thing no. or like this is what so I was expecting. 
It was so simple, but that's what it did. And it made me not need that person to get it anymore. So when you ask that, like, what do we do? How do we, you know, here's all the programming. Here's all the conditioning. We're tired. It's exhausting. Yes, of course, all of this. But if I had to simplify it, right, what I'd say is that witnessing needs to happen and grieving needs to happen. And we're such a like grief phobic society, you know, and I think sometimes if anything, we maybe reserve grief for if somebody dies, but the idea of being in grief in the day to day, the week to week, the money, not Not super sexy. Yeah. For your 401k. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, and so people are like, ah, like, I don't want to do that. And I always say when in doubt, grieve more, when stuck, grieve more. And so people are like, well, how does one grieve? And there's no how to for grief. That's the challenging piece of it is like, there's no how to, you can't follow this step and automatically you're going to start grieving, right? It's this like authentic expression that I think happens when we do start to witness ourselves, when we actually drop in and we remove all of the blocks that say, nope, don't turn to your pain. Nope. Don't see little you and what that person had to go through, right? When we put all of those things down and we allow for the natural expression of our pain, of our sadness, of our despair, of whatever it is that's there, when we actually come in contact with the pain. And as we let that happen, that's when I believe we can start to choose differently. And like I said before, when I was externalizing the pain as a separate entity, right? Pain says, oh, well, when you witness and and grieve with me, then my grip on you loosens, right? Then I don't have to keep finding these clever ways to bring you back to the exhausting patterns that you are so over. Yeah. Right. Wow. I mean, I really felt for you when you were just saying, and that's so it's so intense. Like you didn't even have a sibling. Like I have a sister. So I'm sitting here thinking, gosh, that's so much to be a kid in general without having that. But then to go through something like your parents' divorce, and then there's no one there to Mm -hmm. say, I get it. I mean, Mm -hmm. I could feel just how Mm -hmm. thirsty you were. I want to ask you about the worthiness that you talk about. Mm Before we go there, I want to ask you another question. So I want to remember to come back to the okay. worthiness. Leave us because you talk about how we can question our worthiness. But one of the things I think over and over as you speak is how over the course of my life, since my parents got divorced very early on in my life, I did go to therapy as like a young teenager, mm-hmm. um, was in that for a long time. And I've done all kinds of different things. And later on in my life, I started to meditate. And what I found so incredibly relieving and liberating and wonderful about meditation is I would connect with this part of me that's a witness, that's not in the program, this part of me that is, was, and will be. And is just, there's this a, it's a consciousness. It's just, all it is, is well-being in there. It's this infinite place. And I've taken my husband to like, retreats for like week-long meditations or whatever it is. And we come out and we feel, we feel new. It's like, it's like the way the sky looks in LA after it rains. It's just, there's no smog. Right. And my question is, it almost seems like there's two things that are juxtaposed to each other because when I'm in my meditation practice, there's no part of me that is curious about grief There's no part of me that's going into the past. It's all about the present moment. Mm -hmm. And I would say even more so the expansion of perspective of how much bigger than my avatar I actually am, of how much bigger than the program I actually am. And all of a sudden I'm the mind, my conscious awareness is the mind and I'm no longer in the program. And so as a result of that practice, my life has become very much like more of a well-being than it was before. And I'm aware enough to know that on some tiny level, that also is a little bit avoidant because Mm. somatically my body, I have a physical body and this conscious place, right? Which was beyond the body, but my body's holding on. Like Mm -hmm. chemically I am addicted to this Mm -hmm. old stuff. 
And so it has done a major pattern interrupt where I have many long stretches of my days, which turn into weeks, which turn into years, which there's a lot of coherence Mm -hmm. where I feel very much like in rhythm with Mm -hmm. feeling the present, taking it in, enjoying it. And so then it feels like a big bummer (laughs) to have to go back into this old stuff. And it kind of feels like, why can't I bypass that Mm -hmm. and be very spiritually refined and it's almost like it's confusing i guess and i'm sure you know all those things that i just said i'm sure you're not a stranger to those kinds of practices but i i i sit here and i'm like calling my own bluff a little bit and yet i find that confusing because i'm pretty good at memorizing how to feel coherent and good so why on earth would i go down this road do you know what I'm trying to say? Totally, totally. Have I you love, asked that question even? I, I love that transparency and I love this inquiry around it because it's like, it's so true, right? You're like, when I am practicing this, like the witnessing that you're talking about in meditation, right? It's like, yeah, it's incredible. And what a gift that we get to experience in that space. And to your point though, that is not having me always tend to the pain in Not the way that I need like, to, right? We're going to fly above the clouds. Right. It's and good up here. Yeah. And I, I think kind of the, the idea of the both and, and I know that feels like a bummer, right? Where you're like, no, no, but I just want to hang out up here because this feels really good. And you're like, well, if you could do meditation retreats one after the other for the rest of your life, like <laughs> good maybe, luck. yeah, right? maybe, but guess what? You're re-entering into your normal day to day as well, the majority of humans. Right. And I think to your point, that can be one of the ways, the sneaky little way, because it's packaged in a, oh my gosh, it's so good for you. Oh my gosh, look at all the benefits. Oh my gosh. And that change it out with anything, right? It doesn't just have to be meditation, right? It's like working out, doing this, da, 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 right? Like all of the things that can sometimes move us into a space that is so supportive and healthy for us. But if we're still using it as a way to avoid acknowledging what needs to be acknowledged, you know, it's like, then it's still going to find a way to bring you back to it. And I think it's the utilizing of all of the different things that can be incredibly supportive for us, but to be aware and you are, and I love that you called yourself on it, right? To be aware of when one of the things that we're using becomes a distraction away from what it is that we need to tend to. Yeah, I think it is a both and. I think that there's a place. I mean, look, we have a body and a soul. We have consciousness, energy, and we also have a physical form. So we kind of have to deal with what what we've got, you know? And I do think that that's why breath work is so beautiful because I feel like it's a really great place to just release grief is what I find happens a lot, which people don't even know that's coming, but Mm -hmm. just by breathing, you just shed all this pain. Mm -hmm. And I have seen is what I'm saying. I've I've really seen the value in making the space Mm -hmm. and leaning into it. But I asked you before, I said, I would go back to it. You talk about in the book, these wounds, but you talk about this word, which is like how questions are are worthiness. Mm -hmm. I think that's so right in the bullseye of Mm -hmm. what I experienced myself and what I experienced that my listeners, Mm -hmm. whether they're always aware of it or not, there's a presence there around my worthiness, my worthiness to be loved, my worthiness Mm -hmm. to get my needs met, my worthiness, even in the relationships you spoke about, you mentioned a couple of things first with the first guy, you know, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, take your time. Where was your worthiness there? Mm -hmm. And then even when you were in your little pattern, like, oh, is he going to want to be with me? Look at me. I'm so unworthy. I'm having a moment, right? As if he doesn't have his moment every, every so often. So what does it mean to finally be worthy? Like, what does that mean to question our worthiness so we can be aware of it? And then Mm -hmm. how could we course correct on that? Yeah. So the worthiness wound, I'm convinced that all of us will rub up against it at some point in our lives and some obviously to a much greater degree than others, but you know, a worthiness origin wound will be there. If you grew up in an environment where you didn't feel 
deserving good enough of value. A lot of times there's a condition that's associated. So if I get the straight A's, if I am a phenomenal athlete, if I am perfect, the peacekeeper, the pleaser, the comic relief, fill in the blank. If I do that successfully, then I get love, connection, validation, approval, attention, peace, calm, whatever. And I knew worthiness would have resonated with you because you talked about achievement before. So it's like the performers, the perfectionists, the achievers, and oftentimes we get the story that when we do that, then we get the thing that we crave. And when we don't do that, we don't get the thing that we crave. Now, worthiness wounds don't have to have conditions. Sometimes we are just in an environment where we don't feel deserving, good enough, because you know, in the really sad cases, right, maybe a parent told us that right? That they were explicit about that, where it was just said to us that you're just not good, that you are filth, that you are this, that you are that, right? But it's where we start questioning our value and our importance. And my, to tie it to, you know, the points that you were saying about my relationships. Now the listener knows a little bit about my childhood and how I grew up, but my dad was a really phenomenal father in a lot of ways. And when I was really easygoing, he was super present, supportive, would do a lot of acts of service for me. But if I was difficult, being a teenager, whatever, right, challenging something, then love was taken away. And that would happen through uh, him giving me the silent treatment. And sometimes he'd give me the silent treatment for days or weeks on end. And it really continued to support the story that if I have no needs, right? If I don't express anything, if I'm fine, if I'm good, if I'm unaffected, right? Then I get what I want. But when I am difficult, quote unquote, when I do express something that goes against what you like or prefer, then the silent treatment happens and that's taken from me. So, okay, fast forward to the story of dating that guy. And of course, right, this part of me that says, oh yeah, of course, take all the time you want. I totally understand this must be so hard for you because if I'm difficult in this space, I will absolutely lose you. If I'm easygoing, that's where my worth is. That's why you'll want to choose me. Right. And it's like, that's when we don't explore those origin wounds and see how those things are running the show in the way that we communicate, set boundaries, move through conflict, navigate relationships. Right. It's like, we're not seeing the whole picture and the way that we start to shift our relationship with some, these wounds is going through that origin healing practice. Of course, I think that that's important with the witnessing and the grieving and all that. But it's also about, you know, we can't outsource our worth. Right? At the end of the day, no one holds the keys to our worthiness. Right. And that's what most of us do. I become worthy when I get a relationship. I become worthy when I make X amount of dollars. I become worthy if I look a certain way or somehow I can change my appearance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's all of these conditions, right? The extension of the condition we grew up with learning that I will get love and attention and validation and approval and connection and presence from the people I want if I behave and perform this way. And then we continue to outsource. And so this practice of moving, like bringing all of these things back into ourselves, you hold the key to your worthiness. And again, this is an interesting one because I'll speak to clients and they're like, listen, <laughs> I believe that everybody else in this, on this world, on this earth is worthy, but I struggle to believe that I am like, I am truly the exception to the rule. I believe everybody else deserves good things to have partnership. If that's what they want to have the things that they crave for and desire. But for me, I don't think I get to have it. Right. And so this idea of like, you do, it's your birthright. You are born. And because you are born, you are worthy. But 
that idea, that concept is so hard for people to hold and embody for themselves, right? Because there's so many stories that have told them that that's not true. And so we can't just plop in a new story and say, you're worthy. Just say it 10 times in the mirror every morning. And I promise it'll change something. No, it doesn't. That doesn't change things for people. They don't believe that, right? And so it's going in and unpacking all of the experiences, those stories that have, have convinced you that your worth is tied to something outside of you. So it is layered work. Like I said before, this stuff is not easy to come into and to just like flip the script and flip the switch. And all of a sudden you're going to wake up tomorrow feeling like you're entirely worthy, but to understand the experiences and the stories that have created this narrative for you is so important in being able to work with it and decide what is true and what is not and how to reclaim this for yourself through the practice of acknowledging and seeing the pain, identifying what it is, and then witnessing and grieving alongside of it so that you can choose relationships, so that you can choose dynamics, so that you can set boundaries that are consistent with believing that you are worthy. You know, towards the end of the book, I talk about this prompt that I think is really helpful for us in the moments where we're actually able to pause. It's like, is what I'm about to say or do or choose going to lead me to my suffering or to my healing? But you have to take it a little bit further. Is it going to lead me to my suffering or my healing based on the healing goals that I have for myself, right? Because in the moment, choosing healing might be the opposite path because it just gives us some peace quickly. It's the band-aid, right? But to say like, if I were to believe that I was worthy, even if I don't believe it right now, but if I was to believe that I was worthy, right? If I was to hold that up, what would I choose right now? Would I not set the boundary? Would I set the boundary? Would I communicate this thing or not communicate this thing? Right. Like to actually start, and you don't have to believe it just yet, but to start to become aware of, okay, but if I did believe it, what would I choose? And you may be able to follow through on that, or you may not be ready to do that. That's okay. But to begin to be in the practice of asking ourselves those questions and understanding the things that are keeping us from actually leading our lives that way. This is so beautiful, all of it. And it leads me to one other question, which is I was just interviewing Dr. Arthur Brooks from Harvard. He teaches classes on the science of happiness. Mm. And it's fascinating um, and not so surprising, but it turns out that what makes people happy, really happy, like when they look at it from all different angles is not as much self-care, but other care. Mm-hmm. Like your greatest riches is like not the money you made, but the money you gave mm-hmm. away, that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. like, it really proves itself out in the studies. Like when they look at people's physical health and mental health and all that. And so I find it confusing again, because I see so many women who are pleasers who put everybody first and they're like depleted and exhausted. Right. Yeah. And then I go back to, but that does make sense that we're here to be in relationship with others and we get the most fulfillment from giving. And so how do we reconcile that? I mean, here's what my guess is, right. Without knowing a lot of the research or, you know, my guess is that when we are pleasing and putting others first, but that's being driven by our unresolved pain, that's really different than doing it from a place of healing and integration. Totally. That makes so much sense because really so often when you're pleasing Mm -hmm. and you're doing it from unresolved pain, you're actually doing it for yourself. You're doing it to be safe. You're doing it because you feel like- To be worthy. Yeah. Exactly. God, that's such a great answer. That really makes sense. Yeah. And again, I mean, it it is fascinating to hear that because you're like, well, oh, I want to learn more of that because yeah, it does make sense. And then you're also like, but so much of this work is how do I do this work for myself? But I think when we get ourselves to this place of being driven by our healing and not driven by our pain, That is when we can make honest, authentic gifts and expressions to others. And when we're not doing that, then everything that we're giving to others is somehow tied to trying to prove our worthiness, trying to prove our belonging, trying to prove our prioritization, our trust and our safety, right? Yeah. Which is all really codependent. Okay. I'm going to ask you one last thing. (laughs) What is one thing people can do today? 
besides mm-hmm. go get your book, which we're going to talk about in a second, how they can get it and we will link to all your stuff. What's one small thing someone could do to, today to break free and mm-hmm. feel more like they really want to feel? Yeah. I mean, the one question that someone asked me once long ago in therapy that was really eye-opening for me was, what did you want most as a child and not get? And that was a real, you know, big question. Okay, big breath. But that was a really powerful question for me to turn towards the curiosity of the wounds, right? Like, what did I want? What did I wish that I could have had that I didn't get? And when we can take that big breath and make a little bit of space for ourselves to answer that honestly, that brings us right to the beginning of our origin healing work. And so, yeah, I'll leave the listeners here with that question um, and allow for it to do what it will do. (laughs) So good. All right. Tell everybody where they can follow you and where they can buy the book. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. You can find me on Instagram at mindful MFT as in marriage, family therapy, all of the things that I have going on are always listed in the link in the bio there. Books are sold everywhere that books are sold. So the origins of you is available in hardcover, Kindle audiobook. I got to read my audiobook, which was an amazing experience and yeah, really loved that. And yeah, viennafarin.com, newyorkcouplescounseling.com, but yeah, you'll find all the links for all the things that I always have going on. This was so great. Thank you so much for all of your vulnerability and sweetness and wisdom. And it's so, it's just so good. Everything you're sharing and how you're sharing it. And, you know, you know, a lot, but you're also like, so willing to share, you know, which is like brave. And I think that's how it begins. One person has the courage and then everybody else can go to go, go follow suit. So thank you so much for coming on. Of course. Thank you for having me. Vienna is awesome. All right, here are the takeaways. Number one, when we are eventually able to face that pain, then there is the magic, the sacredness, the power, the transformation. There is the healing. Number two, pain is what brings us into our patterns so that we will look. Instead of thinking that it's out to get us, what if we can start to see pain as the arrow pointing us back to where we need to go? Number three, the pause is where we find the gateway to our freedom. When we start to stretch that pause, we have a greater opportunity to choose differently, to replace the old patterns with something else. Number four, we want to be witnessed and acknowledged. What we need most is to witness ourselves, to be able to see ourselves clearly. Number five, we can't outsource our worth. At the end of the day, only you hold the key to your worthiness. You deserve good things. It is your birthright. You were born, and because you were born, you are worthy. Number six, when we get ourselves to this place of being driven by our healing and not driven by our pain, that's when we can make honest, authentic expressions to others. And number seven, ask yourself, what did you want most as a child that you didn't get? When we can take that big breath and make a little bit of space for ourselves to answer that honestly, that brings us right to the beginning of our origin healing work. Thank you so much for listening. I know that it's summer now and there's just so much going on and it means a lot that you're here. I hope that this conversation touched your heart, that it helped you. And it would be so amazing if you shared this conversation with somebody who you think would really benefit from hearing it. So you can text somebody the link, or you could share it over email, or you could post about the show on your Instagram. And please leave us a review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening, because it helps us so much. The more reviews we have, the more other people will find the show. And finally, if you want to join us, there's just a few spots left for the retreat that's happening June 25th through the 27th. If you want to be with me in person with about 45 other amazing women, you can join us at kathyheller.com slash retreat. I love you. I'll leave you with a song of mine. Talk to you soon.
nothing